Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today back off his holiday is Mr Simon Bukowski. Si, how the devil are you? I've not seen you in ages. Yeah, very good, thank you. Yeah, it's always nice to have a bit of time off in this summer mm-hmm. summer break. Or oh, there's no break when transfers are there to be completed, but... Uh... Yeah, it was very nice, thank you. Well, in absence of not much to talk about in this little part of the off-season, <laughs> what did you get up to? We may as well, you know, let's shoot the breeze, as they say. Um, what did I get up to? I went to Eureka. You got to fill me uh, in with that. You don't know about Eureka? I'm a, obviously in the Anderfall in this regard. Never been to Eureka as a child. It's, nope. um, it's like a sort of interactive museum of technology. Right, it, it is mad no, ringing a bell. I think I might be thinking of like the technology museum in Manchester, like that sort of thing. Yeah, but I, I mean, I most remember it for having like a massive mouth with uh, teeth oh. and things to explore. Me, I might have been to this. I, I mean, I was... everyone's been there on a school trip. I feel everyone's like you're unlocking reveries deep inside my head. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. No, Eureka went to Blackpool Zoo, which was very nice as well. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Um, I, can, I can definitely say I've been to that one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and watched a lot of cricket. So, all mm-hmm. all good. It's nice, mm-hmm. isn't it? Cricket's cricket's I good. Do love it. It's mint. It's, it's mint when you're on uh, at work. When you start work at like <laughs> in the morning and you just have it on yeah. all day and you're like, it's so relaxing. Yeah. It makes all the worries you only of work got, just drift away. You only got into it recently, didn't you? As well, was 2019. It a few years ago? 2019, right. the World Cup, because I watched it yeah. in the office. Remember, remember that? Right. <laughs> the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. I remember watching the World Cup final with, I think it was Tyrone. It might have been yeah. you there, or were you off? You might have been off. Can't it was definitely remember. Tyrone and um, yeah. Chris, our uh, newspaper editor, and it was like yeah. everyone had just kind of. I think the statute of limitations on this crime have got forgotten by this point, but everyone had just kind of stopped working <laughs> to watch the last few overs and then the super over. And then I'd, when Stokes did that dive and it kind of went for four, <laughs> I was like, what is going on? I didn't realise cricket could actually be fun. And Exciting. then obviously two months after that, a month after that, it was Headingley Test, which we was like the August bank holiday weekend, which is yeah, a, big, yeah. a big festival day in Averton. Um, so we was all out on the on the lash from like half ten, watching that on a phone in the blistering sunshine. And since then, I just have a, a grown an affinity for it. And I, I don't watch it that often. I don't uh, protest to be a great expert, but it is just so chill. I actually went to a cricket club on Saturday myself. It was fun. Roll Green in Whistler would recommend it. Nice. I mean, it's a good sport to watch, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. at amateur level or any level, because um, you can just sit there and have a few drinks and, and enjoy it. But also, England v Australia is fantastic at the minute, mm-hmm. both the men's and the women's ashes. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 always nice to watch sports that are different to football after mm. sort of a Nine months year of judgery. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I just think, you know, it's nice to have a little break from, from football. Because um, oh, yeah. there's still still football going on, of course, and football related mm-hmm. things. But um, yeah, it's nice to have a bit of bit of a change. Nice English summer. Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, we've got no nine days till the next test at Old Trafford, of course. I hope um, any of you lucky sods listening have managed to get tickets because I did not. But I'm sure we'll all all enjoy it with any luck as long as England win, as long as uh, perhaps maybe Bairstow uh, has a little rest, shall we say, to put it put it diplomatically. <laughs> but, you know, as you say, there has been some football, for sure, and it's kind of centred in Georgia on the England under-21s match to glory in the under-21s European Championships. I think it's the first time they've won it since 1984, 
was that the start I saw? And um, as ever, with City's kind of brilliant academy, they were right in the heart of the action. Three starters in the final, three starters in every, pretty much every game, apart from the dead rubber um, in the group stage. Um, and what a what a tournament it was for England and for City. You know, this was a you know there was one City player on the bench as well, in Tommy Doyle. Two players who you would have thought would have gone and kind of recalled Lewis and James McAtee who didn't. And before we kind of touch on England themselves, it just shows how how great City's academy is, which might be a little bit of the kind of the the subject of today's <laughs> podcast, really, in absence of absolutely anything else to talk about. But yeah, what a what a week it's been for City and just um, kind of abstention of any other football. Yeah, and I don't know if Phil Foden might still have been eligible for it. Um, Surely not. He's twenty three now. Surely not, but I'm not. Yeah, maybe, but yeah, definitely Rico Lewis and, and McAtee could have gone and, mm-hmm. and didn't. Um, and yeah, really nice to see um, City players at the at the heart of it. Um, it was six six games they played in total and um, topped the group. Didn't concede a goal and beat a a very good Spain side in in the final with um, yeah a sort of Cole Palmer deflected free kick, free kick that deflected in off um, Curtis Jones and then you get through six minutes of injury time, concede a penalty, uh, Spain can can level it up and and sort of still have a chance of doing it and then uh, enter, enter your man James Trafford. Uh, it was about uh, three or four years ago we started becoming kind of really well known about Trafford because he was in around the first team, it was when Bravo was injured wasn't it and he kind of became third choice behind Mervich and that's when he's you know, he was only 16 then, he was still getting around the first team. But then he's gone out to Bolton for the last 18 months, done brilliantly. The most clean sheets in League One last season. Um, excellent with the ball at his feet. And now with this performance, you know, the transfer to Burnley is what's kind of got him into the public consciousness first. And now this kind of heroic display at um, the Euros, not a goal conceded in six games. I think that makes it nine clean sheets out of 11 matches for the under-21s in total. Um, yeah, and he's just. I'll put it this way: I, he's. I put when the the transfer to Burnley kind of broke. I put a bet on him to be in the England the England senior squad for the next Euros at twelve to one, and it's now down to eights and probably even further at this point. So I, I think he's just destined for greatness. You never want to speak too highly of players that you've seen on loan, but and you know yeah. League One, it's a big jump. But a lot of players have made that jump, and I just think he's absolutely destined for greatness. The only thing that might let him down is if Burnley struggle coming up but I, I yeah still think but he's destined for the top but I think he will you know save a lot of shots in that Burnley team um I mean you'll have seen him more than me but he's he's not short of confidence is he nope not at and all. he's happy to be a character um and kind of wind up some opposition fans and and things like that but he uh, he's um he's from Cumbria and not very far away from Dean Henderson um, and I think there are sort of pretty strong similarities between the two, two guys who are very full of confidence, but have the ability to to back it up. And it became quite clear early on in his career that, you know, yeah, he, he thought a lot of himself, but he also was constantly putting in the work to, to back it up and working on things. And he realised early on that if I want to get into this City team, I need to be as good as Edison. And you know, his distribution and sort of the way he comes out of his box is really, really good. Um, and he's also a good shot stopper as he he showed in that um, penalty shooter and throughout the tournament. So, um, you know, he, he was smart enough to realise he needed to go out on loan 
if he wanted to progress. And he had a pretty ropey loan at Accrington. Um, and but then you know loans. It's just about finding the right club. He found that at Bolton. Uh, you know, could have changed club. Uh, last season, I think, because he, you know, he did really well in his six months at Bolton. Maybe could have gone up to the championship. Didn't stayed there. Um, and yeah, I mean, un- you see the situation at at City. Edison's kind of Edison's stock has never been higher. Ortega's got a new deal. Carson signed on again. Um, so it doesn't look like breaking in. But other people have had a look at him and said, yeah, we like this guy a lot. Um, and it looks like he'll be playing. Premier League football next year so richly richly deserved and um, you know there's a there's a few you'd think Howard Bellis won't be short of um, of interest um, who's another one who's yeah left City um, and done really really well at Burnley um, Tommy Doyle Sheffield United uh, last season and I'm sure they will be interested again um, and then Cole Palmer who you know Palmer was kind of expected to go out on on loan and, and still is. Um, I think Brighton are, are one of the the many clubs who've who've shown interest in in Palmer. But you never know how the squad's gonna fall out and whether in fact there will be a shortage that needs him to to stay. But if if he does go out on on a loan at a club where he can find regular game time at a at a good level, I think you'll see Palmer thrive as well. So really promising for. England really promising for for City. Yeah, I well definitely for England because I think Trafford is kind of the keeper they've been looking for for so long. Now Pickford's never kind of let England down pretty much, but he's in that kind of mould where he's really good on his feet. And if if he can make that jump to the Premier League, I do I do see a future where he overtakes the people ahead of him in that goalkeeping pecking order pretty quickly. Especially Pope, who's never been that good on his feet and has never really been fancied by Southgate. Like he's well, exactly. There's there's a lot of suddenly there's like a lot of competition of kind of goalkeepers are all not none of them are kind of standout number one. If you get me, they could all overtake each other if they all have a good season. They, my issue, not my issue, my concern would be for Trafford that you would see him with Gavin Bazunu last year, who's similarly very very highly rated. Went to Southampton. Southampton obviously absolutely crumble, and he suddenly doesn't look quite as good as we thought, as everyone expected he'd be a year ago. You know, Burnley are coming into the Premier League now playing a completely different style to what kept them there for seven years ago. They absolutely blitzed the Championship, and Trafford is perfect for that style. And of course, another City keeper was their number one last year in in Murich, another former City keeper. So that that kind of pathway is clear. But teams who come up from the Championship playing an expressive style kind of occasionally get caught out if they don't quite if they're not quite able to replicate it against bigger teams when they're not going to have the ball as much could you know there's always a possibility that Trafford might struggle coming up to that level it's a big jump but a lot of players have made the league one Premier League jump pretty easily so and I have confidence that he and I'm sure he does too that he'll take to it like a duck to water and I say it's almost a shame for City that there is no clear pathway for him at the moment because you know what's Edison now 28 like there's no there's probably no shift in him for five six years minimum at present unless there's a steep decline but you look you, when you watch Trafford it's almost uncanny, uncanny similarity in the way they kick the ball you know Edison's and not even off the floor the way they kick it out of the hands Edison's kind of 
how he kicks the ball from like a sideways position, almost like a karate kick when he's kicking it out of his hands. And it doesn't, it never kind of loops high. It goes almost straight over kind of players' heads right to a player. Trafford has that down to an absolute T. He's so confident on the ball. And as you say, he's really good um, shot stopper as well. He's almost like the perfect replacement for Edison if he can take to the Premier League right. And it's just a good job that there is a buyback clause in there. Because honestly, it would not surprise... Of all the players, you know, we might talk about Romeo Lavia at some point, but of all the players City have let go and for considerable sums, Trafford is the one I could most see coming back one day. Yeah, and I, I think sort of, you know, there obviously will be worries of what if Burnley struggle. Um, mm. But you kind of look at um, Aaron Ramsdale, say, who I, I, I never thought looked particularly great in a sort of poor Sheffield United team that went down. But, um, you know, Arsenal scouts saw slightly more than me. And, <laughs> you know, you look at him now and he's thriving at a big club. Um, so, you know, even if a, a team struggles, um, there's nothing to say that a goalkeeper can't can't impress mm. still in that. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a huge opportunity for him and, and kind of more proof um, that there are more routes than ever uh, mm. from the, the City Academy into sort of top level football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that um, in due time. But, you know, you mentioned Palmer there. Um, he had a good time, especially coming alive in the end, as you say, kind of leading um, to the fact the winning goal in the final. Scored um, a nice goal and set up two, especially the first in the semi-final. was a lovely ball for Morgan Gibbs-White, who scored a great header. He kind of came alive in those last two games, and it's it was nice to see because he wasn't particularly... He was doing well, doing his job in the team for the rest of the games. Obviously, it was a great team doing well, but wasn't really standing out. Now, he had that shining moment in the last two games, as you said, you mentioned he could go on loan there, but like, what is it time that he kind of really shows what he's about now? Because he's been around the city first team for a couple of years now. I kind of thought we'd see a bit more of him last season. Twenty-five appearances ain't bad, but I think the average minutes of those were about half an hour. Is it? Is it? Is it time he kind of you know twenty-one now? Is it you know if he doesn't start really showing he can be in the first team this year or even on a loan spell? Is it? perhaps maybe time he'll be moving on permanently? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's for sale this summer. Um, mm. City have been pretty clear about that. They still view him as part of their future. Um, that was kind of the case before the the Euros, and I can't imagine that's changed um, since. I, I, I think by, by his own sort of admissions, he was, he, he was not great last year. He didn't play as well as as he could have done. Um, I, I think the positive thing from the Euros was that kind of his best performances for City last season came at, at the end of the campaign once the the league title was over and he got a couple of starts and the, the obvious thing kind of to throw at him was, well, pressure's off. There's no pressure in those games. Mm. Um, whereas he kind of got better as the as, as England got further um, in, in this tournament. So he, he kind of embraced that that pressure and showed he can thrive when uh, when it is a bit tougher. So, yeah, I think he's certainly done himself no harm um, for for next season. Clubs were were looking at him before the Euros, and you'd expect more of them to be to be looking again. Um, I, I kind of still expect him to to go out on 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 loan and, and show what he can do because it, it's only kind of 
I think back to like when City played at Club Bruges and he scored his first Champions League goal, but kind of that maybe like 18 months ago, um, it seemed like he, he could do no wrong and he was kind of reaching Foden levels almost mm. of um, of sort of exciting potential and, and it's just stalled since then with injuries and then um, a bit of a dip. So yeah, hopefully this can be the kind of kickstart for him he needs to um, to really show what he can do because he is another that has kind of huge, huge mm. talent if, uh, if it can be used in the right way. Mm. A Premier League loan would be quite interesting. You say Brighton there, like, I've seen off the top of my head, I can't really think of them loaning a youth player to a Premier League club. And like, has that happened? Like, that'd be quite interesting to see how they do it at such a high level. Cause it's usually Championship or League One, if, unless I'm missing someone really obvious. Yeah, I put me on the spot there. I mean, I they, they obviously sell to Premier League clubs yeah. a lot. Um, they kind of, um, and then kind of loan to mm. Championship like no one's clubs gone who are looking to, to get promoted. Hardly anyone's gone on loan and come back and played regardless. I think we touched on that with kind of McAtee going out on loan a few months ago. Yeah, um, was he, was Jack Harris were leads in the championship when Harrison went to? First time, yeah, and then uh, they got yeah. Burned, didn't they? I mean, but, Aaron Aaron Moy, Huddersfield were championship as well, mm, going he back, was never, I think. never going to play. He was... 25 <laughs> yeah 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 i think the um yeah i think the point is yeah if they have done it they've not done it very often at mm. all um but i think that would kind of show what what kind of a special talent palmer yeah. is that he's good enough for premier league clubs to be mm. to be interested in him and you know it would be interesting if brighton were um were happy to to accept a loan for him um you know they were interested in McAtee um, last year, last 18 months, basically. Um, but they wanted a, a permanent deal. So um, that kind of never came to fruition. But obviously they've um, they've reaped the benefits of having, say, Levi Colwell on, on loan, who was another member of the, the under-21s England winning side. So, you know, maybe more... Um, more sort of a similar move to be to be done there. I think if you're a footballer and Brighton offer you the chance to to come to them, it's a hugely exciting, no, oh, yeah, exciting move. Um, you know whether you can get the game time is is up to you to to force your way in. But I'd imagine mm. you get um, opportunities there, and uh, yeah, it, it, and Brighton is kind of above, well, well above those clubs who sort of would be looking over the shoulder and mm. um, you know only kind of four games away from bringing Sam Allardyce in that kind of thing. So you're um, you're probably pretty confident if you go there that you can get stability. Absolutely, and kind of finally on the under twenty one Euros, another player with a surprisingly great tournament on on the, but on the losing side in that final was Sergio Gomez. He actually finished the tournament as its top scorer and had another, a couple of assists to his name as well. Um, interestingly, he was playing back as a winger or as a forward, as he you know he was converted to a left back and a left back and a Vincent company. But he continues to play in attack for the Spanish youth teams. Kind of where does his future lie? Is there a potential because he's he's not going to be a left back at City. You know, he was kind of sold down the river a bit in being put into the squad in the first place from City's own mistake in not securing Kukurea before selling um, Zinchenko, which turned out to be a bullet dodged. But it did leave a shot at left back, and Gomez you can't, he looked like a player who was meant to go out on loan at first 
when he did get a chance. But it's only chance of him being used as like a kind of a backup winger of sorts, maybe a more direct option. Because, you know, we talked about in previous podcasts, or if, perhaps if Mares or Bernardo leaves, they're kind of a bit short in attacking areas. A wide forward might be an interesting signing, um, even if they both stay. So is there, is there a possibility that Gomez might have a future? Because I think we all kind of under the impression he might be on his way this summer, either on loan or permanent. Yeah, he he played um, further forward in sort of the final months of the season for City. No, of course, yeah. In, in in what was really a sign that like you're not you're not yeah. playing left back again. Um, but City's formation obviously changed and adapted as well. Um, mm. So you know if you try and fit in that four man defence that is kind of like four massive centre backs, then then Sergio <laughs> Gomez is is not the one. Um, He's, uh, but you know, this tournament showed that he does have, he does have talent, and you know, it's hard to become a fullback um, in a in a Guardiola team, and you know, it took Zinchenko kind of years of nearly being sold to to finally get there. Um, so I, I don't think that Gomez will be seen in um, at left back. Um, he might want to go elsewhere for sort of the promise of more regular game time. And I don't think a loan would be, um, you know, too too ridiculous to suggest. Um, but equally, it does look as though there could be opportunities there if he wants to, um, to back himself to take it. He obviously backs himself last season at left-back and it, and it didn't pay off. But, you know, in a, in a more favourable uh, position that he's, he's used to, it, it might, be, might be a different story this time. Exactly, and only time will tell. We'll bring part one to a close there, and in part two, we'll have a bit more of a discussion on the players who will be leaving City in the coming days and weeks. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. We talked a little bit, Si, earlier on James Trafford. Um, he's heading to Burnley. Um, I bet Burnley are delighted they got that deal agreed before the final because I think a t- an extra £10 million that he could have been adding on to his price tag. But £14 million rising to 19 the usual sell-on fees and uh, buyback clauses applied. And then he's not the only one leaving, though. Another really highly rated player, the under-18s captain, I do believe, Shay Charles, is heading to Southampton um, in around, is it about £11 million or so fee? He's earned rave reviews already, a full at Northern Ireland International and has basically been labelled as their best player already alongside Liverpool's and another Bolton Lawney City send all your players to Bolton please um, <laughs> and Connor Bradley who's may well be playing for Liverpool um, this coming season that's so you know if all clauses are met that's around 30 million again on two players who've never played for City's first team I think you know, Charles might have done actually wasn't he on the bench in the last few games of the season in fairness to he him, ca- he came on, came on against Brentford on the final day. Right there, you go. So what? A few minutes of action between them. Add that to the fifty million or so that was made on Lavia uh, and Dozy Bazunu and someone else who's passed me. Oh, who's the left back called? What was he called now? Larios. Oh, there you go. I actually quite liked him. I thought he was good when I watched him. Um, you know, City. How do they do it? Because you look at United, who Zidane Iqbal, they can't even muster a million for selling to. Utrecht and City are earning so much money for players who have very very little experience in compa- you know um, compared to what United are managing and it's a great it's a great sideline for them but my God how do they do it? <laughs> it's um, yeah it's very interesting they've just 
been very, very good at selling. I, I, I don't think you can kind of um, take away from the fact that they've been, you know, they've won under-23 and under-18 league for the last three mm-hmm. years um, to kind of beef up um, their kind of status for their academy. But then also, say, James Trafford has been on loan for 18 months. He's not really been too big a part of that, but has, has clearly done enough to um, to warrant uh, Burnley paying an initial 15 for him, which is is big, and then and then 19 in total if if all goes well for him. So, um, like, yeah, a really huge, huge sum. I think it, it's just kind of, um, it, it's a mix of that kind of doing well at academy level, but then having the characteristics to, to make it as a first team player. There's obviously kind of, City started speaking about things being holistic back in, 2013 which was a very kind of woolly word but loosely kind of meant we want all all our players from like under eights up to play in the same style mm-hmm. and that means that the uh it will be easier for youth team players to slot up um up the ages and eventually fit into the first team um if they're used to the system that they play and you've seen that in say Rico Lewis this season being so sort of skilled at, um, and unfazed at coming into the first team. But you've also kind of got that edge where, you know, I think certainly clubs in the lower divisions could look at Premier League academies and think, you know, are these boys tough enough to make it as a footballer in our league? Um, and I think City have shown for a number of years now that, yes, their players are in the likes of Trafford and Howard Bellis and uh, McAtee and... Um, uh, Tommy Doyle last year were mm-hmm. real kind of standouts and major players in their team, and that's what they were asked to be, and that's what they they did. Um, and so there, there is just kind of this city player now, where you know the sort of the quality and the potential that that you're getting, and kind of a lot of work goes on behind the scenes, kind of like Brian Barry Murphy, the under 23s coach, does like. Um, makes the players kind of do interviews um kind of you know that most of them don't see the light of day but he's sort of training them up to be a professional footballer it's not just what goes on on the pitch it's everything um every aspect of of their lives and and city are, are bringing through a lot of footballers who have very big potential like you say if james trafford turns out to be england number one then 15 million is um is quite the bargain for him it was funny to sort of see Loads of people on Twitter we'll slating the fee, and then <laughs> we'll uh, you know suddenly it's uh, it's a really good deal. So you know, City have kind of um, built a benchmark of of what their players cost, and mm. other clubs remain very happy to to pay them. I think from I, I don't know too much what's going on on the United side of things. Um, certainly at a first team level, I kind of think the the high wages that United pay have seen them kind of struggle to to shift um players and you look at say Harry Maguire you sort of think I think um uh I think I think we're saying United want fifty million for him and it's like <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, so funny. But but you know on a on a serious note if you've got sort of the chance of like fifty million for Harry Maguire or I don't know twenty twenty five for Taylor Howard Bellis. Um know what I'm taking. Yeah, not to not not to sell him on this podcast, but you know, you, you would look and say, well, one probably represents mm. uh, better value in the long run than the other. 
Um, so, you know, City are kind of producing the next generation of of, of stars, as the, the England tournament showed, and mm. uh, and clubs are happy to to buy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's just like a stamp of guarantee, isn't it? It's like going to yeah, and I, I, I never would, but it's like you go into Waitrose, you know, you're gonna get. Better than you go to Aldi. No, I'd still go to Aldi because Aldi's Aldi's king. But you know what I mean. If you had money, you'd you go into work drawers, aren't you? Like it's a stamp of guarantee. And as you made the right point, um, bang on point. Like if you want your team to play a certain way, you know that if you get a player from City, they are going to be able to play that way. They're going to be comfortable on the ball at the very least to have a technical proficiency, no matter what position they are, and they're going to have a, a certain degree of elite level training. And I just don't think. Many other maybe Liverpool again. They're they're producing a lot of good players and have obviously Trent Alexander Arnold in the first team and Curtis Jones and whatnot. But there aren't you know in comparison to United, they just aren't producing the players. Maybe they'll start start changing if Ten Hag gives them more chances. You know, Kobe Mayne who's kind of breaking in. But the most young players they've got are kind of the ones they've bought. Like Ganacho was bought from Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago. We got a couple of fullbacks from kind of Real Madrid and Barcelona. There's nothing wrong with that. Fair enough. You you scouting young talent and getting them in. It's going to pay off. Um, but you're not going to be able to sell your Zidane Bals or your Charlie Savages for such high funds when there's just not that guarantee of kind of the coaching excellence that City has at the minute. And as you say, it's not just the headline signings that we've touched on there, the Traffords, the Charleses, the Laviers and whatnot. It's, you, if you kind of look through any League 1 or League 2 club, or the leagues, there's like players everywhere who've been at City at some point. Like, stop me, like Luke Bolton, I think it's at Luton. Yeah. Like players uh, like Salford. That. Salford, no, like he yeah. was. There's like players, all Jack Harrison's another one who you say like. There's been so many players who've come through that city system at one point or the other, who aren't exactly headline grabbing players per se, who are just kind of fluctuating the league. And you, you know, Kieran Slicker's another one. He's just gone to Ipswich. Ipswich. Oh, blue Ipswich, blue yeah. badges. There's just you yeah, know, city have yeah. so many goalkeepers for one. I don't get how they have so many goalkeepers at first place. But there's just so yeah. many players throughout the football league come through at City, and it's just a price of guarantee. It's it's, a, it's amazing they have so many players on on the books. To be fair, but yeah, it's it's just yeah. a great business, isn't it? And and I think sort of um, you know the Dortmund buying Sancho was was kind of a watermark. Yeah, um, great example. In both Sancho was kind of a, a trailblazer for um, bio getting for young. But, well, this yeah, yeah, but this kind of new breed. Um, it was around the time that England won the or England under seventeens would go on mm. to win their World Cup um, in the October, I think, after Sancho left in uh, the summer. But you know th- that move was seen as like a a mark for this new breed of like young, hungry, ambitious footballers who weren't content to sit in Premier League academies, um, and you know and. Dortmund paid eight million for him, which is you know a lot for a seventeen-year-old or sixteen-year-old as he might have been sixteen, seventeen. Mm. But they got tremendous value for Ten him times. and sold on for a yeah. Um, you know, City got eight million when they sold him and ten million when Dortmund sold him to to United. Um, and you know that that kind of showed young players that they could move and it showed selling clubs or buying clubs, you know, you might have to pay significant money, but mm. you the the rewards if everything goes right. You know, Southampton paid yeah. up when to United 14 for Lavia and even... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even relegated um, could get 
you know, 40, 50 for him. I think Chelsea bid 40 or 40 or might have been higher. I uh, think like they want a month after Southampton. Yeah, but Chelsea tried to sign him last summer after Southampton had bought him. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, that was kind of how uh, how big his impact was. I think he scored against Chelsea and then he did. a week later the bid he went injured in. in that game. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but... You know, so so Southampton could make three times plus on on a player who they've enjoyed for for a season. So yeah, I think you know the more successful deals that go through that like mm. that, um, the more the more clubs will be prepared to pay those prices. I've been going through actually, um, just kind of City sales over the past few years, and you know, there, there's plenty who've had good careers, but the sort of the more years, the the more recent you get, the fewer kind of um, sort of bad deals there are um, from a, a buying point of view because the cl- the players kind of justify the fee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, as you say, Southampton, like, you get the weird conspiracy theorists on Twitter. I don't think <laughs> we should really be blowing life into their kind of madness, but it is just mad to see why, why, they, why, why it must be. I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to say what, what they've been saying, but I'm sure you know the, uh, the but it, but it is but it, absolutely it, stupid. It, to take James Trafford, it is funny, isn't it, that no one yeah. had heard of him. And everyone was like, oh, this must be corrupt that City have, that Burnley are paying 15 million yeah. for him. And then two days later, he's an England hero. And it's like, oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. Always knew James Trafford was good. <laughs> Been watching him for a, years, yeah. A club who didn't want City to get into the Champions League, was it, a few years ago, whenever it was, was one of the ones complaining. Yeah, yeah. Had no it, helping it, City. You know the rest yeah, of it. it. It's absolutely stupid. It, it's a long-term plan from City, isn't it, to buy Vincent Company in 2008 so that he'll he'll pay over the odds for James Trafford 15 years later. Well, you know, they've That's been... a decent sleeper agent, that. Exactly. Well, Southampton have been getting criticised what for spending, what will it be when they get Charles, like 40, 50 million on five City players, but they're going to make all that back in one swoop with Lavia. And City yeah. are going to get an extra 10 million, should he go for, should he go for 50. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, there's, there's not too much money to be made in in football, but um, you know, if Southampton can point to that, then they've mm. they've done all right. The cheeky question and, and is, I think, oh, I, I think as w- well with Southampton, the um, you know, Lavia is that good that he impressed despite being injured. Mm. But um, I think Larios was injured for a, a long he time. Um, you know, Edozi didn't really do it, but is still young and kind of you could easily see him tearing up the championship this year in the way that a few a few similar players did last year so you know even if your money doesn't pay off straight away there's still plenty of time and the question is should City be the one to kind of go back for Lavia we've talked a lot about the midfield signing and the the potential need to get another body in for uh, replace uh, Gundogan City I think last time we spoke, I'm sure you talked about it at depth on another podcast, but last time we spoke, City did move for Rice. They eventually walked away after the price went up. But that does show the City themselves think they want a midfielder. There doesn't seem to be that many obvious options on the market, but Lavia, as we've just discussed in depth, a player is already familiar with how City want to play, what would be required of him. Maybe probably wouldn't be content to come back as second choice, I wouldn't have thought, but could he be a potential option? City have... First refusal, um, at least this summer, and potentially a, a buyback clause at some point. Like, should City kind of maybe look at him? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to get aggregated by saying that 
Pep likes yeah. him because Pep likes about four thousand midfielders. Um, and yeah, I think with with Rice, it it wasn't so much as we want a midfielder. It was kind of we, we would be quite up for signing this guy. Right. Um, there's no reason I don't think why. Well, if you look at it, Lavia ticks a lot of boxes, but mm. I think because he ticks those boxes and because City obviously sold him, I think you would have to ask why mm. they're not moving for him, mm-hmm. um, which would kind of suggest that they um, they have their reasons for, for not wanting to, to go in for him, which, which is a bit of a cop-out excuse because ideally you would say, well, they, they are or not in for him because of X, Y, or Z. But um, you just kind of think because so much seems to add up with Lavia to City, the fact that he's not really been mentioned um, would kind of suggest that they're they're not that um, not that interested in in re-signing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does seem like more like Chelsea or Liverpool are the front runners, and City will just kind of sit back and reap the rewards of their. Uh, their due diligence well, and contract negotiations, <laughs> wasn't it? it? I mean, it's going to be one of... If he does go to a Chelsea or Liverpool, it's going to be those where there's going to be fans unhappy at why you're selling to a... Or why you're not sort of... Allowing. Stopping a player from going to a rival, basically. Um, which is understandable. Uh, but then City could probably point to sort of selling to yeah. players to Arsenal and Chelsea last summer and, and still, still thriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know... We've touched so much on kind of City's youngsters and uh, the amount of them that are leaving the club, but we kind of want to know like who potentially could be the next ones to kind of break through next year. And MEN's running a few pieces and polls and whatnot on the website at the moment. If you go over and you can go, uh, find the polls, I think it's kind of pinned to the top of the website and let us know who you want to see kind of thrive and get given a chance next season. But is there any youngsters side kind of coming through you think could potentially get more of a chance next year? Like McAtee is the one that I'm kind of looking at. We touched on a few months ago how he bullishly wanted to go out on loan despite kind of being told how many players have gone out on loan and come back and done well. He did amazingly at Sheffield United. Um, is a, When I've seen him play, he's always really impressed, really dynamic and kind of elegant on the ball. There's a As we've just touched on, there's a gap in that midfield. Could he potentially be one of the ones to fill it? And then the other ones I've been impressed with since I last watched the youth team was kind of Carlos Borges and uh, Mabudi, two attackers who were full of goals, full of pace, full of skill. I'd be excited to see either of those get a chance, but again, there's already rumours that they could leave as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to ever touch too much on which city youngster you want to see because they might well be gone by the time the podcast gets out. But, you know, who, who, who do you reckon could be in and among the first team next year? Yeah, and, and with um, Mabude and Borges, as a side note, um, I remember speaking to um, Jason Wilcox, who was the academy director, who's now moved to Southampton to be their director mm. of football, but talking about kind of initially being a bit um, concerned when uh, other clubs came in for their players or staff. And then when they sort of thought about it, they were like, no, like our players and our staff should be wanted by other clubs if we're doing our job right. Um, and you've seen a lot of players leave. You've seen key staff leave. Wilcox is obviously a big a big role to to fill this summer, um, but it's a sign that players have been doing their their jobs right. And if, and Borges and Mabude have done enough to to catch interest, then that's because they've played well enough. Um, mm. Yeah, I agree with you on 
on McAtee, I think he will want to be playing first-team football. So it's if City can offer it to him or, you know, it kind of seems like maybe if Bernardo stays, then are there going to be the opportunities for, for McAtee? Um, or could there be sort of a better better move elsewhere where he'd get more regular minutes? Because I, I think with along with Palmer, if he plays kind of week in, week out, he'd he'd really, really excel um in a in a top league. Just kind of below that, um Oscar Bob has been very, very good for for a long time for the twenty threes. I think he's won player of the year for the last two years. Um and he's kind of more a forward in the line of um your Grealish than maybe sort of your your Sane or Sterling. Um so it, it would be interesting to see if he can kind of make the the jump up to the first team this summer if he gets a chance on the tour or he's trusted like that. And then other than that, for a, a while I've liked um, Nico O'Reilly, um, mm. who is a young striker who um, made some headlines last season for a, I think he scored a last minute Scorpion kick or something. Um, but he was on the bench at Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is um, a lot of a lot of admirers in the first team already as well. So there are so, yeah, the those two. Yeah, so I'll keep yeah. your eyes on those City listeners and we'll be back in just a moment for part three where we'll we'll round things off with a little bit of transfer action, of course, because it is, it is the summer after all. Do not go anywhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talkie City podcast. Si, it's been... I'd, I'd, you've been off, so you've been lucky. But my God, it has been—it <laughs> has been a—it has been a slog this past week on the city front. It's been quiet. It's been dreary. James Traffic under twenty one's action has been pretty much the only thing of note. Um, Josco Guardiola, where does City stand at present? Eh? <laughs> yeah, about where they stood when I went off. Um, and again, not to um, be too self-aggrandizing or. Whatever, but when like people are peppering you on Twitter weeks and weeks ago, being like, "Oh, X, Y, Z are saying Guardiola's done in the next few days. Why aren't you saying anything?" And it's like, "Oh, right, he didn't come in the next few days, did he?" Um, you know, it it it's still that. I think the on-record comments from uh, the RB Leipzig director got a lot of people excited, but kind of more like a these are the terms that we will sell rather than we are selling imminently. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's still expected to, to sign. City is still expecting to to be able to have him as kind of their their marquee signing for for the summer. Um, but equally, I'm not kind of expecting him to, to walk through the door tomorrow um, because there's still, still work to be done on that one. So mm-hmm. that is that. Is that. And uh, all for that, uh, oh, yeah, is doesn't feel like there's a lot going on mm-hmm. um, at the minute, which is perhaps understandable given everyone is uh, on their holidays mm-hmm. and enjoying their their time off. So I think as kind of players start to filter back in for pre-season, that is generally when you see a bit more a bit more action and a bit more kind of players and agents and clubs kind of taking stock of what's going on and, mm-hmm. and what they need to, to move about. Well, well, on that front, what I kind of see City's pre-season plans, we've seen um, some clubs and teams start to return to training this past week. When, when are City back and then 
And what's the plan for pre-season? Again, City kind of late as always. They they tend to be the last ones coming back, which is probably why the the one's still going strongest at the end of the season. Maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a deliberate um, plan to uh, bring them back later than or or late. It just happens to be later than anyone else. But also, you consider their their season went a week longer than everyone but United, and two mm-hmm. weeks longer than everyone else. So um, they need the time in in Ibiza to uh, to let their hair down. I think. Um, but yeah, they'll One be coming back. It. Yeah, in in about a week, and then heading off after a few days to uh, Japan, Japan and South Korea for their uh, preseason tour. So they'll have about three weeks of training, I think, um, before the Community Shield, of which kind of ten to twelve days, I think, will be in uh, the Far East. So, not um, not ideal in terms of preparation, and kind of City have normally never really bothered about the Community Shield too much. They've just kind of used it as um, an exercise in getting fitter. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of remember last year's Community Shield against Liverpool, where Liverpool kind of visibly looked two or three seconds um, fitter than City did, but there was enough from City to think that yeah, that they'll probably get this get this right very quickly um Mm -hmm. however there is more pressure on winning the community shield this year um because they want to win six trophies in the calendar year and they're up against an arsenal side who have done or are doing a lot of business very early Mm. um so arsenal will be motivated and with new signings and city will have to um to try and match that and they'll have to sort of put maybe a bit more effort than they normally would into those first three weeks to uh, to make sure they're in a position to do that. Yeah, it'll be very interesting the community shield. Obviously we'll talk about it a bit close to the time, but you know, we I think a lot of people put stock in it last year, it being City Liverpool, the big rivalry for the season. Like and obviously it doesn't matter, it never does, and it probably won't this year, but it'll be interesting as you say for those points and then as you mentioned months ago, you called the, the City win against Arsenal in the FA Cup really did have kind of the transformative effect that you rightly predicted that City won, Arsenal lost. And that I do believe that kind of played a psychological part on the, the two games to follow. Obviously, Community Shield doesn't matter nearly as much as the FA Cup, but there's always the chance that City getting the early win against Arsenal already keeps that kind of psychological hold on them. And if Arsenal come out and win, then maybe it's turned around ahead of, ahead of the title race. But, you know, while City's been pretty quiet on the transfer front, there's been a decent bit of action elsewhere in the Premier League. And as you say, Arsenal are the headliners. They've already signed Kai Havertz, which I do think is a bit of a weird signing, to be honest with you. But we'll also be getting Declan Rice over the over the line at any moment, probably, and also signing Durian Timber from Ajax, it does appear. They've made the biggest move so far, and I believe there's a stat once, once Rice and Timber are in, they'd have actually spent more money than any other team in I think Europe over the last few years when that when that you know 130 odd million deals go through like are they are they strengthening the best view do you think Arsenal still kind of looking to be the city's strongest contenders I say I'm not sure about Averts but Rice is is a great addition yeah I think um I think Arsenal I think the community shield matters more to Arsenal than it does to yeah. City um you know if City were to lose they could sort of say oh just getting back to fitness whatever mm. um if Arsenal were to lose to a team just getting back to fitness uh with their kind of new signings in that would be more of a mm. more disappointments kind of bounce back from um, this is exactly what we look- said 
for the FA Cup match. That's because ex- yeah. City have injuries. That's exactly exactly the conversation we had. City won't care if they lose, but Arsenal will if that. If that. So it, it, I think it could yeah. play a part. Yeah, although at, at the time I think it on the night it certainly felt like a lot of people thought Arteta kind of um, had won because he'd played kind of a weakened team, so they're not really it. kind of given That's any it. City. So momentum. we said the same thing in reverse. So we said the same thing in reverse because Arsenal played a weak team. That was yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Um, but I think sort of the difference is City have got five titles to um, to the name to say yeah we yeah. can come back from this. You know, you think about some of the overreactions to Erling Haaland in last year's Community Shield and uh, very quickly looked very silly. Um, but I do think it's going to be a tougher league than than ever this year. Um, you know, Liverpool signings are very interesting and very Klopp-like. Um, I, I'm not sure they're going to have the consistency to sort of go, but if they can find some rhythm early on... Um, you know, I think they play Chelsea first up, which is a kind of fascinating start to see how how um, Liverpool are sort of ticking along. But also, you know, the the basket case club that was Chelsea last season under a very very good manager now in Pochettino. Uh, you know, can he kind of make his make his mark early on? Um, yeah, you you've got if United can get a, a new kind of goalkeeper mm. in. Um, Eric Ten Hag was very bullish after they lost the FA Cup, suggesting that kind of you know the the gap between the two teams wasn't that great. Um, I'm not sure I agreed with him, but he's kind of there to uh, to try and show progress for for United, and then you've got kind of the the best of the rest um, mm-hmm. with kind of Tottenham, Brighton, Villa, Brentford all trying to um, gate crash the the Newcastle top four. As well. I, Newcastle as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, under kind of increased expectations to see how they how they get on. Can I say that um, Saturday eight pm kickoff is an absolute joke as well for Oh, Newcastle. you can, you go for it. You, is... you have a little time <laughs> in if you want. Not 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 excited for that, yeah. Well, it, it's just um, it it feels like we're all heading for sort of every Premier League game to be on at a different mm. time, starting at sort of. 4 a.m. in the morning to appease the Japanese market and ending up at, you know, at 10 o'clock at night for someone else. You know the the maddest thing. I you obviously taking that to the um, kind of 11th extreme there, but I actually yeah. don't think I actually not entirely against having most Premier League games kind of spread against the weekend a bit more. Yeah. Just because I'm sick of the blackout rule always coming up because the blackout rule is vital for non-league teams of which I'm a supporter of and even just Championship of Football League it's vital and I'm sick of the argument that it should be getting rid of because it shouldn't but I am also of kind of of the opinion that the amount of televised games in this country is an absolute joke considering you can watch every game anywhere else in the world and you can't watch games in this own country uh, sorry in the country they actually take place in most of the time so I do think a compromise can be met where more games are played at different times other than three o'clock but obviously that needs to be within reason, so you've not got fans going down three-hour drives or three-hour train rides when there's no trains at eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Like, I think there's a yeah. crumb of a good idea, but it needs to be done right. And when has anything ever been done right in this regard? Yeah, well, I mean, we've got kind of the um, the eighteen ninety four supporters group mm. and um, 
the food bank group who have sort of taken a stand for uh, the mm. Community Shield because the Community Shield was 5.30 on a Sunday, yeah. uh, whereas kind of Saturday 3pm works so well for, for the FA Cup final. Um, people saying, you know, why can't why can't it be um, Saturday? Why can't it be an early kickoff? Then the FA then the FA sort of changed the kickoff time and said, "Oh, it's gonna." We've decided after consideration of the fan, full consideration <laughs> of of the fans, that it's going to be four pm. Um, and you sort of think, well, so why weren't they fully considered first? Um, but the point that sort of City fans have been trying to make um, is that it's not a City issue. It's a it's an issue yeah. that happens to every club up and down the country and you know there are um plenty of sort of wild journeys through the leagues um but it's kind of especially acute in the premier league where um more games are televised and just because your club you support a premier league club doesn't mean that you've got more money than someone who doesn't support a premier league club um so i think i'm just trying to find the tweet here and, well, I'm not being funny. There's enough money in the Premier League for the Premier League to put on or get trains for matches specifically for Newcastle fans to get back at yeah. 10. Or yeah, fans well, I, the other way. yeah, I can't find it, but I'm sure the the only train that leaves Piccadilly after 10 o'clock um, on that Saturday night gets back into Newcastle at quarter past eight the yeah. next morning. It's appalling. This so, be I mean, fine, it's a Sunday, but it, it's like, you know, this isn't the FA, it's the Premier League and it's the first round of broadcast fixtures and they're already kind of setting out their stalls to say we couldn't give a flying monkeys mm-hmm. about um, about match-going fans, which is Nothing very, <laughs> very disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for all the talk um, of how important fans are and, mm. you know, let's not let clubs off the hook including City for raising season ticket prices mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a cost of living price, uh, crisis and you know we still wait to hear if um, you know if, if the fans who are making a point against the community shield are going to be get any kind of support um, for that uh, not that they're kind of expecting it but um, it, it yeah it, it's just it's a kind of disappointing way to um to start the season when the Premier League so blatantly just put a a terrible kickoff time for for what should be a really exciting mm. game, you can see why it's on television. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't need to be at eight pm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, football just uh, never ceases to make you feel down, <laughs> does it? Or up all the time. It's the, it's a roller coaster, and the bad bits are often very scary and. The the loop de loops and few and far between for for some of us down 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 in League One in its eye down in League One together aren't we <laughs> yeah. yeah you know fans for now fans everywhere does for now yeah because you're going League Two that's why <laughs> that's why if you if you survive at all bless you yes. um, yeah fans yeah. everywhere deserve better and you know City fans deserve well uh, good applause for what they've done in the Community Shield and hopefully well you never know maybe that protest will carry on for that I know it's Newcastle coming up but. You know, fans should be together. Fans bonded together to get rid of Super League, and now you know maybe Premier League should appreciate that a little bit more, given they might not be quite of might not have quite the strongest standing had um had that gone through and fans not protested it to the death. Likewise with the Champions League and their continued <laughs> handling of massive events, which of course City were involved in um uh, last month. But you know what? For 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 having nothing on at the minute, side, we've we've done a good job at that podcast, I reckon. So thank you all. 
very much for listening. Let's do it again sometime, probably next week, and let's hope there's just a bit more to talk about and we're not prattling on about the youth team for about 40 minutes. But I think I think we all enjoyed it, didn't we? Of course, you can get us all on our socials. And did you know we have a TikTok? Because I didn't. I don't go on TikTok. I'm, I'm too old. I don't, I don't do that. I watch I watch glass bottles getting thrown down the stairs and the guy making butties through dice. That's all I do. But if you like TikTok, if you're on it, we've got 13,000 followers, got loads of content on there. So go and give it a follow. And especially as soon, we'll be doing a TikTok giveaway of the new Man City shirt for the new season. So go and give as a follow to find out more on that of course we're on youtube at manchester evening news um slash man city i presume that's the name for the tiktok nobody actually gave me that information so um you, i'm sure if you search it it'll come up i don't really sure how it works twitter at man city men facebook manchester evening news dash man city and of course the holy grail the place to get all the latest transfer info and info and fan protests and injury news and Updates of pre-season, everything you could possibly need on the city front. Go over to manchesterevenuenews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. And that, my friends, is the end. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back next week. But until then, 